With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Deep Aries presents, and I would like to thank my universal and local listeners for tuning in. The call-in number is always 714-583-6914, and you're going to press 1 to speak to me, and my special guest, actress Jessica Cameron. Jessica, are you there? Jessica, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, yes. How are you doing today? Hi. Uh, I am just getting caught up on all of my emails and all of my work before heading okay. off to an audition. Okay, let me introduce you, introduce you, okay, to our audience. And everybody, again, my guest is actress Jessica Cameron, who has been cast in 30 projects, including feature films, music videos, TV shows, and just to name a few films, she played in a film called Halloween, and that was which sparked this Halloween edition. Jessica is a native of Ontario, and one of her films she's been in is called The Sleeper, which is called A Death Stop. So it is out there. I couldn't believe I read included vomit bags given out to the audience members to enhance the premiere, the producer said. In 2010, she won the Rising Movie Star Award. Most recently, she played a princess in a feature film, Potpourri, and also the film The Hush, where she has worked with um, horror icons and directors, and she has three comedy upcoming web series and now comic book modeling. 
Jessica, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> no, that was a pretty conclusive list. A plus. <laughs> so let me ask you, how did you get started? <laughs> By the way, Toronto is one of the main places I always wanted to visit. What was it like um, going to school there? Oh, I actually love Toronto. It's it's yeah. one of the places that's one of my favorite places in the world. It was so much fun because I grew up in such a small town. So getting to be in such a major metropolitan area around so much culture was uh-huh. just phenomenal. Wow. And how did you get started? How did you get the acting bug? How did the acting bug bite? Well, it's funny. I, looking back, it kind of bit earlier on, but I kind of shoved it away. Like in, in high school in Canada, you have to take um, drama or some other. There's two programs you can choose between, and one's drama. And I forget what the other one was, but mm-hmm. I didn't like it. So I took the drama class, and I had a lot of fun. And the teacher was like, you're really good, and kept on throwing me into other people's scenes because he really liked how I was at character development. But I didn't really pursue it because I didn't like the high schoolers I went to school with, the people that were doing all the plays. I thought they were really obnoxious quite frankly, so I didn't really want anything to do with it. And then I went to school in Canada, uh, University for Fashion Design, which I loved Uh at the time. And when I was waitressing in Toronto, I would have agents and managers come up to me and ask me, like, you know, are you an actress? You should be. You know, are you interested in getting started? And I would sort of brush them off because I was focused on uh, fashion design. And then when I got hired outside of school at a company in Ohio, they moved me to America and they had an issue with my speech. Oh, so really? Felt that I, yeah, I know. It's fashion design, so uh, 98% of my day is spent in front of a computer, uh, not speaking to anyone. So they insisted I take classes, and when I couldn't find classes on speech, my boss said, just take an acting class. So that's when it really took hold of me, uh, and I just fell in love. I love the whole art and the challenge is yeah. so difficult, and unlike anything I'd ever experienced. So I just took every acting class I could for years. And then wow. eventually I ran out of classes in Ohio, and my teachers were like, you're really good. You should, you know, start auditioning and start doing stuff. And I kind of, I like I said, I held off for a couple of years just taking classes. So I was like, well, you know, I didn't really want a second career, and it was really working out well for me because I had this job that paid my bills, but I had what I loved to do. I could do something passion-wise. But it got to the point where the classes just weren't challenging. And then it just sort of spiraled off from there until I was wanting to do it full-time. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, what we graduate in in our degree is not our passion. We end up finding ourselves on another road. But, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask, how did you get cast in a horror film is it true that they had vomit bags? <laughs> is that true? I read uh, that, and I thought, oh, my God. I didn't see any of them, but you never know. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't doubt it, honestly. I mean, and I have been on horror film sets where uh, you get done and you run. I Normally, like, if I'm going to feel nauseous or sick, it's usually, honestly, not because of the blood and the gore that's surrounding me. It's usually because of the intensity of the scene. Sometimes right. the scene can, and the people involved can rattle you to your core. So I remember, like, I, I did the scene for Postmortem America 2021, and I had a okay. scene opposite Larry Laverty, who's pretty well-known in the independent world, and he's this mm-hmm. really fierce actor, and he was supposed to be this horrible bad guy that kind of captured my character, and my character didn't know how she was going to get away. 
and he comes over and he has a monologue in front of me involving like his touching my face and all that and it was positively spine tingling and although I didn't throw up I came close <laughs> shortly after that because it just it was so creepy and you just feel you feel like you're in such a horrible place there's like that fight or flight and like that kicks out even though you know that it's not real there's still mm-hmm. a part of you that's instinctively like I have to get the fuck out of here no matter what I have to run Either you're like, wait a second, it's fine, it's all an act. But when it's that real, it can be mm-hmm. really, really intense. So did you pick that, did you did you choose horror or you, it kind of just came to you? You know, well, was it something that like, this is a challenge, I, I, I want to do this, I need this, I want to do this. Were you passionate about horror? Well, originally I've always been passionate about horror. It's always been my favorite genre to watch. So if I'm going to be watching a movie, it's always been like if I go to the rental store or now it's Netflix, (coughs) pardon me, horror films have always been what I gravitated towards. Mm -hmm. But as far as acting in them, it was honestly just a large part of being located in the Midwest. You know, I lived in the Ohio area for six years, which meant I worked mainly in Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Exactly. Oh, I love Michigan. Shooting there was so much fun. People were so nice. I want to get away from it. (laughs) Well, I only visited, so I can't speak to living there. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but like, shooting and being based in the Midwest, what you have a lot of is horror films. There's a a significantly higher amount of independent horror films that shoot than any other type of movie. So it worked out really well for me because I loved it. And, honestly, I find personally for me, and every actor is going to be different, but it's a greater challenge in a horror film because you have to make the impossible, the improbable, the impractical believable. So mm-hmm. I find like in a comedy or a drama, usually they source on more commonly known occurrences, like a breakup between a boy and a girl or something like that. So we all know, you know, what that looks like. We've probably either been a part of a breakup or we've seen them or a good friend has. So we have more to draw from. You know, as an audience member, you can look at that and say, okay, that's either like how it happened to me or it's not. But I don't know of anybody who's actually had to run from a zombie or fight off a vampire. or <laughs> So to make that believable to the audience can be really challenging because the audience right. is a lot harder to make believe when they don't have a frame of reference. You really have to be in that moment of terror or else the audience are going to accuse you of being fake. Mm-hmm. And are these all independent films that you started that you've been in? Because in in two years, that's a lot. Well, and it's been a bit over two years. My IMDb was not up to date, and I think that I sent you an up, not up to date bio. Um, it's oh. been about four years, three to four right. years total. Um, but that being said, the IMDb is also not up to date. In three or four years, there's actually been seventy some projects. That I've shot. Really? So it is a lot, yes. It is a lot, but in the independent world, um, and they have all been independently done, which means, with the exception of the commercials, I've done some commercials for, you know, corporations, but other than that, in the independent world, you know, they're really great. When somebody really wants you, they'll accommodate you. So I know last year there was like a four-month stretch where I literally did ten movies, and it was wonderful how the independent community would adjust their schedules to fit mine. So I was shooting Potpourri one week, and they wanted me for Mr. Hush. So they organized it so that for Mr. Hush, they mm-hmm. put all my scenes towards the end of the film so I could do my other my other films. 
So it was a three-week shoot, and I was only on set for, like, six days, I believe. Now, the sleeper is the one that is the most gruesome, right? That's the one I, where there's the vomit bag. I actually, well, as far as the most gruesome, it really depends because <laughs> I haven't seen the actual final cut. I know that when I was on set, it was really gruesome. And I won't give, I don't want to give too much away. But, okay. um But what I saw was very, um, very graphic. But and it's, wow. it's it's meant to be a tone of like the eighties slasher flicks, and that uh-huh. filmmaker was just so amazing. And even when I saw like some of the props that they used, it's awesome mm-hmm. what they did. So for those who don't know, like an independent film is mm-hmm. a film that is made independently from a studio. So most of them are lower budgets, like below five hundred thousand dollars. But um, there are other independent films that, you know, are more commonly aware of, usually with, like, named people involved. Like, Insidious was technically an independent film, even though it had a $1.2 million budget. Okay. So, now, but I want to... Justin was so awesome on that set. It was fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds fun. I mean, if I could act, you know, I'd probably want to try something like that. <laughs> Let me ask Well, you're in the right I'm area. Actress. I've taken acting classes, but uh, and you also do comedy, right? Yes, I actually love comedy. One of the very first things I did um, is a comedic web series that was actually improv based. Um, so they would have like a loose idea, and this is kind of we actually shot it like three and a half years ago, but it's just coming out now. Um, it was before. This is now a trend in Hollywood, like where you have a loose idea and then you improv like the dialogue around it. You know, right. you get actors right. who are really good with the character, and you have your beats you have to hit, but how you get there is kind of up to to negotiation. You sort of figure it out as you go. So I actually, that was like the very first big project that I did in Ohio. Um, and it actually, originally at the time, it was a six-part uh, six series for TV. And after three and a half years of editing and everything, they actually decided now that web series are so hot to make it into, I believe, a 10 or 12-part web series. Oh, okay. And but, yes, it was so much fun. Comedy is great because, like, the tone on set is totally different than a horror film set. Everyone is, like, perky and happy and and funny. Hmm. So let me ask you, is it different, difficult to transition from horror to comedy? I have to admit, the, but some of the horror is actually funny that I look at. I'm sometimes more funny than scary a lot of times with the newer movies based on uh, other than like the classic 70s and 80s you know you know exorcist type Carrie I mean it's more of a funny thing now it seems like than like the old you know classic horror movies I agree and I think like I think some of the best films are cross-genre you know where I think that it's you can have comedy in a horror film you can have horror in a comedy film to a degree I think that some of those are the best that I've seen um, as far as, like, what's harder, honestly, for me, it's all about the character. So it's more mm-hmm. about character arc and what she's going through. So some of the hardest characters I've had to play, it was in a comedy, and it was just sort of because of what they were going through or dealing with, not necessarily having to fight zombies or, you know, run from some evil, you know, post-apocalyptic serial killer. <laughs> so it really just depends on, like, the role, the character, and what the character is hoping to achieve. 
as far as, like, the actual actions, horror to me is usually more demanding because horror is usually so active. And then for me, it's something that is, it always just sort of takes use, getting used to. Horror shoots, from, in my experience anyways, and everyone is going to be different, uh, often go longer, meaning your days are often longer on set. You know, it's not uncommon to have a 17, 18-hour shoot day. Um, obviously non-union because unions would not let that go. <laughs> um, and then you're constantly running around. It's usually very active. And when you're in the Midwest, particularly, you're often outside in not great weather climate, you know, making it work, making a movie. And then you add in all the elements of, like, the special effects and the blood and the gore, and that can make everything take even longer. So the actual physicality and the the elements that make up a horror film, in my opinion, can definitely be a bit more challenging than others. Oh, okay. And let me just let our guests know that um, to call in at 714-583-6914. And you're going to press 1 to speak to actress Jessica Cameron, and you'll be connected to both of us. I just want to let you know. And for those in the chat room, make sure you post your questions. And I will definitely read them to Jessica, and she will answer your question. Um, sometimes people get confused about the Eastern time. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, I'm really bad for that, too. Yeah, no problem. And I saw you've also been in videos. Um, were, these, were these more like um, skits, or were they actual videos? Right. Oh no, they're actual they're actual videos. I don't I haven't done I did um some like improv stuff just with like improv troops like where it skips but it wasn't like on camera, it was more just for exercises. But all of them are like videos like straight to D V D kind of films, you know, in the independent genre. Um in the Midwest they have a really strong and it's throughout all of America, but I find it stronger in the Midwest. They have this huge convention circuit, uh, where they often sell these straight to D V D videos. So I've done a fair bit of those as well. Really? What are some of the videos that you've done? Uh, to name a few, Resurrection, um, Post Mortem okay. America is going to be a video. Yeah, Post Mortem America is actually now divided up into chapters. So I'm uh, going to be in the chapter two, which should be coming out on video in the next couple months. And it'll be available. Cameron Scott loves to go to all the horror conventions. So mm-hmm. you will see it. All over the Midwest, I'm sure, since he's based in Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Um, that, that project um, was a feature film originally, but then with the wonderful world of independent filmmaking, it did get taken down to a multiple-part video series, just, you know, for various reasons. Oh, okay. Now, are any of these um, music videos, I'm just curious, have you been offered any like to play in any music videos or anything like that? Oh, I was. I had. And I actually love music videos because I, I find several reasons. Number one, I like to the actual artist telling a story without the use of words to me can be a wonderful acting challenge right. when done right. Mm-hmm. So in the Midwest, I did a music video for Mushroom Head that was actually on the Saw Six DVD. So that was super fun. It was for like the main. The main, uh, the main song of that DVD collection, um, and Mushroomhead, of course, is so popular over there in the Midwest. Oh, okay. So I now, did that, and I did a couple ones that were for local Ohio bands as well. Okay. And how does it feel to win 
um, a rising star movie award. That was really awesome. There's so few, there's there's so little recognition in our business, you know, particularly in the acting world. I know for people who are not in the business, it might seem because there's like the Emmys and the Oscars, but those huge award shows are so like unreachable to the vast amount of actual talent. Right. And things that are such like so high up on the totem pole. So there's so few instances where we get honored and where all of our hard work is kind of recognized. So to have like my peers and, and my fellow filmmakers sort of acknowledge that was really wonderful. It was such, such a special time. Um, and I was really grateful for that. And again, it's just so uncommon. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the things like when you're following your heart and your passion and what makes you happy, it can be really easy to get sidetracked, you know, with, you know, society or people telling you, okay, you need to work a nine to five, you know, all Mm -hmm. of these sort of BS rules that we artistic people just don't want to deal with. So Mm -hmm. that award was really a wonderful kind of a pat on the back to saying you're in the right direction, you're doing what you should be doing, you know, all those wonderful things. Now, um, out of all the opportunities you've had from the commercials, the horror films, the comedy skits, the video clips, which, what do you prefer? What is, like, your your passion out of all of that? If you could pick one, what would you pick? I would pick films right now. I love the actual, I love the ability to, to really delve into a character and go deep into a story and then move on to something different. So I'm really loving that. Like, with TV and even with, like, the, the Two Doors Down that I did, the comedy web series, it's a lot of fun to to play a character for a longer length of time. But for me right now where I am in my career, I like the ability to sort of delve into the character and then go on to a completely different character. That to me is like a great challenge to be playing, you know, a high school senior um, one day in a comedic show and then the next day play like a young mom in a horror film. Yeah. You know, or the next week. (laughs) Get to live out different people. <laughs> yeah, and I, I like, like, the dynamic on a feature film can be so wonderful, too, because often they'll pull these people together for an amazing, like, one, two, three, four, five, six weeks, and you kind of create a new family. So even when you leave the set and you go into other film sets, you've created such a bond with all of these people that it's kind of nice. You kind of have all these people in your corner at the end of the year from various projects. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I like to be able to... It's like in the in the independent world, you never know which projects are going to turn out well and which ones are not. And there's really that's why I was funny. I was talking to another actor, and he was like, "Well, when do you get to the point where you only pick the best projects?" And I was like, "You don't really, because you never know what's going to be a great project or not. You know, you can look at who's involved, you can look at the storyline, but at the end of the day, as an actor, you know, we come to set after your pre-production is done." You know, hopefully as an actor, and I hope the other actors I work with have been working on their characters and all that stuff before they get to set. But then we come to set, we film our stuff, and then we leave. You know, we have no control over the editing or the final process or the CGI, which can really make or break a movie. Now you know, so... Director... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, that's all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Now, with directors, I, you know, I have to ask you, especially being... Um, you've got some experience under your belt, definitely. But with directors, ha- what has been your most in- challenging experience working with directors? 
Oh, my gosh. I had, I recently, actually, on a film that I won't mention the name because I don't want to give them any publicity, quite frankly, but I worked <laughs> with a director who not only did the director have no idea what he was doing, he was clearly insane because in his mind, and he would tell us that he had directed 40 feature films. So after a couple of days of being on a film set and we got all these phone calls from other people saying that he was a whack job, be careful. And we clearly knew that he had no idea what he was doing. He wasn't doing anything like in the film world. It's crucial that you have a shot list. The shot list is just where the director and the DP and the camera guys have gone through the script and they know what, what they're shooting. So like if, if you and I were having a conversation per se, that those people would get together if it was on camera and they would decide, okay, we're going to do a two shot, meaning like both you and I in frame and then a close up on your face and a close up on my face you know, for an example, right? And then when they would go through shooting it and we'd be running the scene, they'd be checking them off to make sure that they got the coverage they wanted to tell the story properly. So mm-hmm. this director didn't even know that. And that's kind of filmmaking 101. I mean, it's kind of just like going to the grocery store and needing a list. You know, you just you need something to keep track of what have you shot, what you haven't done. Because keep in mind, you know, in any film, you might have 160 pages you might have, you know, 100-plus scenes. In every scene, you might have three shots. You know, there can be hundreds of thousands of shots. So you need to really tick them off to make sure that you don't get in the editing stage and realize that you've missed something because you can't, in, in, particularly in the independent world, you can't go back. You can't be like, okay, I'm just going to fly everybody in, and we're going to reshoot that shot I missed. Mm-hmm. So getting coverage is crucial. So this director didn't know that at all, and that's basic filmmaking 101. Um, and then he treated everybody horribly. He yelled at people. He called them names. Um, he actually ended up threatening another actress and I on our last day on set. So that was kind of the breaking point for me. Wow. So that was like a very difficult situation. And I had a lot of friends who were like, just walk off the set. And I was like, you know what? I've never walked off the set. I'm going to make the best that I can on this horrible situation, but I'm never going to work with this person again. But I wasn't going to walk off the set because I just – it would hurt my heart too much. And I didn't want to. Also, as an actor, you don't want it to get out that, you know, you walked off the set. So, and I know an actor. actor. Hmm? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jessica. Oh, I just said me and the other actor talked about it, and we both decided that we were going to stick around and, and do the best of what we could with what we had and cut to the film. They ended up, of like 160-some page script, they ended up shooting bits and pieces of the first, I don't know, 30 pages. So, because he just had no idea what he was doing. Yeah, and a lot of people use their name in the business, you know. They use their name, even if there has been. I know that <laughs> to get over. They use their, na- their name, you know what I mean? Well, and sometimes people will lie, and, like, this person had lied. And I my, I normally check, do a background check really thoroughly before I ever get involved to prevent me from winding up in a situation just like this. I do a background check just to make sure that everyone's legit, that if you say you've got 40 projects under your belt, then do you really have them? You know, so that's kind of like what I always do, and it's something I recommend to all independent actors to begin with. But this, these people, and it's so funny because all the shady, bad people, they always seem to find you regardless of industry when you're at that bad point of your life. You know what I mean? When you're at, like, a breaking point and people, yeah. like, you would hope the good people are rallying around, the bad people can tell that you're, like, not on top of your game and try to get involved in the good people's world, in my opinion. And uh, these yeah. people contacted me right when my mom was really sick and dying in the hospital. So I signed on to the project because I thought it was a cool concept and I didn't do my background checks. So if nothing less from that project, I learned really do your background check, 
make the phone calls, you know, make sure you know who you're working with and that they're good, legitimate people. Wow. And and to continue on, I'm sorry about, you know, your loss, but to continue on like that, you know, it can only, what doesn't kill you can only make you stronger. Yes, I, I totally agree. And that's actually ironically that you write that because, like, anytime something bad happens in my life, usually before I post it to Facebook, because I don't like to post anything until I can. When you post something bad to Facebook, what happens when you have 5,000 friends is you literally get, like, hundreds of people who are wonderful and wanting to know, oh, my God, is everything okay? What do you, you get questions. And so usually when something horrible happens in my world, I will post on my wall, that exact statement, what doesn't kill you can make you stronger until I'm prepared to deal with having to explain or having to read at the very least the questions. Oh, okay. And I'm trying to extend this because it looks like it's about to run out and I don't want it to do that. I'm trying <laughs> to extend this episode. But I have to ask you, who are some of your favorite actresses that has inspired you? Oh, some people that come to in the independent world, Tiffany Shepis and Debbie Rashawn are, in my opinion, top tier. They're both wonderful actresses. Mm-hmm. They have had huge, long careers, have been in a ton of movies, and kind of make their own path. And they speak their mind, and they're wonderful, nice people. Lynn Shay, um, she's an independent and a bit more of a commercial actress, and she is one of the nicest people that I've ever met in my life. And they're so wonderful, and she's so talented. So those are three actors that I constantly look up to. Mhm. And, I mean, and there's but, other like I try to not get. I know some people are always wanting you to say, you know, various A-list celebrities. But for me, I, it goes by, you know, how nice somebody is when I meet them. Are they humble? And do I like their body of work? Right. Now, what about um, now? What about Marilyn Monroe? I I know you had a quote from her, and I go to go back to classic ashes. Um, she had a quote that I believe everything happens for a reason. People change for a reason, and I'm I'm thinking, wow, you know, she may, you know, what I read from her is completely opposite of what she, you know, exudes. It's just, you know, beauty and, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I, what I love, and I love Marilyn Monroe, and it's ironic that you bring her up because I literally have photos of her in my apartment, and I have a quote of her on my wall. Um, I'm a big, big Marilyn Monroe fan. And mm-hmm. those of us who are fans, you know, there was very much like the image that that was marketed to kind of be pitched as Marilyn Monroe, and then there was the real Marilyn Monroe as she actually was. And she was a lot more deep and a lot more thoughtful than what most people realize. But in Hollywood, people always want you to be something, and they want you to be easily definable. So she kind of became this package, for better or worse. Um, right, I really I thought, you know, wow, you know. But she really was. She was so in-depth. She had so much going on. She was such, you know, I think an iconic, wonderful person. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been fascinating had she lived to, you know, make it to today, see what she would be doing or what she would have been up to. Yeah, I would have thought she, you know, just like her and like Dorothy Dandridge and Halle Berry and, you know, I would have thought she was just, you know, looks, but I read some of her quotes and it was so deep, you know, and I'm like, I can relate to that, you know, every, you know, the, the little bit of um, struggle there, you know what I mean? Oh, I think that she had a lot of struggle, and I think that there's always this this need to want to define, I find us as women, and I'm particularly women in 
the acting and the film world, people want mm-hmm. to be able to say, you are, insert words here, you are mm-hmm. this, you are that. Um, so I think that it's one of those things where she really fought against that. You know, she embraced it and she knew what it was, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something that actually prevented her from trying to pursue her dreams. All right. Now, I, oh, I have to warn you, I believe we've been cut off. Are we cut off? I believe well, I'm getting I'm getting text messages. Love you, Dave. Saying, Oh no, it's cut you off. Oh my God. It can't be. Just because you it's, know. Still, it's still it's still recording. Well, we'll just keep talking then. <laughs> it's still recording on my end. What I would do is save it, but um yeah, it's still recording. I got well, that. Talking. Yeah, let's just keep going because it's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna cut off. I extended the time. Awesome. But what did the text message say? Oh, I from one of my friends uh, saying that it cut us off. Oh my god! Well, I'm gonna have to go back and um, but the fact that it's still doing it in the studio, we're still on. Yeah. It's on awesome. until I end the episode. Awesome! You know, that at least sweet cross off. fingers. Yeah, now, I definitely will. Please, because I certainly don't want you cut off. It's a good show, and I love the um, insight that you have. Now, you heard the theme from the music Halloween with the movie Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, but what are some of your favorite scary movies from all time? You know what? I actually just saw a film that I loved, and I pitch it every chance I get, obviously, and it was Insidious, um, which is technically an independent film, which I think is wonderful, even though it had a budget. And it just, honestly, to me it was such a wonderful throwback um, mm-hmm. to classic films. It was just a good, genuine scare. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily, I love, I do, I have a, a thing for torture for it. I'm not going to lie. I love, like, the graphic hostel and that stuff. But what I loved about Insidious was that it just didn't rely on any of that. It was just a good, old-fashioned scare. So that was fantastic, mm-hmm. and that's something I love. Um, I love <laughs> Natural Born Killers, which Horror fans always hate me when I reference that because some people don't consider it horror, but I consider it definitely fringing on the horror genre. It's got a huge body count. You know, it's focusing on two serial killers. Mm-hmm. So in I, my opinion, it's a horror-ish film. Do you like the classic ones like, you know, Psycho or... I, I love Psycho. I like... But I know a lot of people who have. Well, I love I love Psycho for so many reasons. I think it was so well done, the original, the remake. Um, I love Halloween. Um, I like most of the oh, films yeah. in the Halloween saga. There's the odd one. I don't want to name one or two to jump them out <laughs> and send anyone. But overall, I like most of those ones. I love the 80s cheesy films. I do. Hey. I think that they're good. They don't scare me, but, like, you know, the films like Child's Play and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, they're just good, genuine you know, fun little films. Right, so I, right. Yeah, I love all of those. I just wish that <laughs> I wish that when they would get remade, either they would get remade well or just not at all. Exactly. It's so heartbreaking when they get remade horribly. <laughs> just like the um, Jason X or whatever. Um, yes. Jason X. Well, I think that's important that I, I wish people would just know when a franchise is done. You know, <laughs> I understand you want to make money, but... You do such a disservice when you beat a franchise with a dead horse. You know, there comes a time where a story is told, mm-hmm. you know, and you've really gone everywhere that you can. 
And I wish I, that more people would just say, you know what? We're done here. We we had a good run. People mm-hmm. still love the series, but there's not nothing else we can go that would tell the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it should all be, in my opinion, about the actual story itself. Right. The same thing and with you too. Money. Yeah. Now, what are you now? Before we we part, I definitely want to know what are your future goals in the business in this thing we call the arts, as far as acting, commercial, or video. What are your what are you uh what is your you know goals you know down the road couple of years couple, you know Well I want Well I mean I think like honestly an ongoing goal for me and I think any actor is just to sort of stay active in the business mm-hmm. it's to continue to work I think that is something that is endlessly appreciated by me anyways and I think by other actors is just the ability to say you know I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep working you know what I mean? So just keeping working is great and something I'm going to focus on. I want to do more projects. I want to do a wider range of projects. I want to do bigger mm-hmm. projects. So, you know, most of my work, if you look at it, is below the $500,000 range, mm-hmm. or at least below the million-dollar range. So I'd like to do more bigger projects and work with, you know, some studios and studio executives and all that good stuff. Um, I definitely want to do a film in my home country of Canada because I've never worked there. Oh, Okay. And really, like, I just moved to L.A. I moved to L.A. like two months ago. So sort of getting established and and feeling comfortable here is also a huge goal of mine because it's something that's so hard to do and something that so many people struggle with. So certainly that's also a goal. And eventually, you know, I want Oscars. I want an Emmy. I want, you know, I want all these other bigger awards. But I am aware that they're, you know, a longer time coming. Yeah. Definitely. Well, you made it to L.A. You made it to L.A., and that's usually like the um, stepping stone, you know, once people get to L.A. or New York, you know, but especially L.A. for the movie world. Absolutely. Well, it's one of the things that's so hard to to get to L.A., and I was really lucky. I wanted to wait until I had enough work lined up and enough, you know, savings so that I could say, you know what, I'm not going to have to work a day job. I'm going to be able to come to L.A., and just focus on filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why I waited. Everyone's, you know, L.A. transition is different. But for me, that's the place I wanted to be in before I came here. So I'm really blessed to be able to say that, you know, I'm in that place, and here I am, you know, let's rock it. All right. Keep rocking it. <laughs> um, and what are some of the future projects you want the audience to know that you're working on right now in this very moment? Well, right now we're working on, there's so many of my films that are getting released, which is great. Um, Potpourri, you can look for that. That's going to be coming out hopefully shortly. It just had the premiere in Minneapolis and they're finalizing distribution. The Sleeper will be securing a distribution deal, as will Mr. Hush in the near future. Mm -hmm. Um, And then coming up, I've signed on for this awesome project with Dave Retta, who is a wonderful Californian filmmaker who's well known in the festival circuit here because he's won a ridiculous, absurd amount of awards. So I signed on to this really, it's going to be a really, really dark horror, um, which I don't say lightly. So look for that because I think so far, and I haven't seen the final script, it's going to be something that is really, hopefully, mm-hmm. sets a new industry standard. Okay. And then there's more stuff that I have in talks, but I'm always hesitant because so much in the independent film world, there's literally about 20 projects that I'm committed to that I absolutely will do, but they're waiting for financing or they're waiting on this and the other, which means in the independent film world, 
some of them will never happen. Some of them will, will happen in a year. Some will happen in three years. But I try to not get my hopes up because you never know with them. Right, and like you said, you know, to focus on, you know, being blessed to get the opportunity, you know. Absolutely. All right. Jessica, it has been a true pleasure having you on. You're on. My pleasure, my dear. Your insight, you know, your passion, I definitely can relate to that. And I would definitely, you know, invite you to come back on any time to, you know, discuss your future projects. Awesome. Thank you very much. I will definitely take you up on that. All right. And if there's any, you know, anything else you want to share with our audience, just let just let me know. And, you know, I can post it for you. I'm definitely going to, you know, um, post that, you know, viewers can go back and look at the episode because I, it's not cut off until I, you know, I end it. But if it cut off now, now they can always go back and look at it. Absolutely. They can go back to it on my website. Definitely. All right, Jessica. Well, you have a fabulous Sunday. I will. You too, my dear. It was a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And and to close out in thought, um, I'm going to freestyle a little bit. Um, I just want to say that there is never any... Thing, a true testament of strength is when you can say thank you and apologize to a person. Because if you can do that, then they shouldn't have any animosity towards you or no one should have to go behind your back. And another thing I want to mention is that, yes, we all, one thing we need to do is really love and be comfortable in our own skin. And I don't, I think some of us, you know, still have a ways to go with that because the thing is, rejection hurts. I don't care how attractive you are, how intelligent you are, how talented you are. Rejection does hurt. It, it does hurt. But, you know, when you, you know, rebuild yourself back up and you know your worth, then, you know, it doesn't matter, you know. So it's all about, you know, sending positive, you know, energy towards yourself first, and then, you know, you send it out into the world. Because if you can't send the positive energy out to yourself first, you know, or you're too hard on yourself, it's just going to, you know, kind of backfire on you. So that's my food for thought today. I Thank you all for tuning in. Again, my name was is April Dewberry, and this is my show every Sunday. This is my fifth show. It's been a great show with Jessica Cameron. Um, you can contact me on Facebook.com slash Deep Aries and www.AprilDeepAries and then blogtalkradio.com, April Deep Aries. So, Thank you all for tuning in, and have a at-peace Sunday. And I'm going to close out with Diggable Planet's Nice Wonder.
Showcase, made possible by a public service grant from the National Endowment for the Arts and Bristol-Myers Company in association with its divisions.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.